Church, thank you for being here tonight. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to give you a, some introductions and some heads up for tonight. So let's go ahead and pray together, and we'll get right into it. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity that the leaders here, pastors, see of as a time of equipping, and we hope as an edifying time that just helps bring more clarity, um, though we know not 100%. It's, it's, it's a gesture that we are caring about things that we think we should be caring about and learning more on. And so I pray that you would continue to grow us, continue to help us, and just be with us tonight as we try to answer these questions um, right off the bat. So God, we, we love you and we thank you for all that you've done, and, and first because you loved us. And so we ask that you be with us tonight in Jesus' name, amen. First things first, you're going to notice, here's how's, that there's going to be a number a phone number on the screen. I think we'll get it up here in just a second. Uh, oh, there it is. It says, text your questions to 616-422-5002. So we already have questions that have been submitted. So we're going to go through the submitted questions first. And then if we have time, if, if we think that we have time permitting, if you have questions that generate during the night or that you have right now, you can text that to a Google voice and I will get them right here. And if we have time tonight, we'll go through the questions. If we don't have time to get to texted questions, we will, the pastors, elders, we will wrestle through those and email you and still try to answer those questions later. So you can text that at any time. Introductions we have here, Pastor Todd Hostetter, Jasper Sweeney, uh, Bjorn Johnson, also. who is a pastor also, Bjorn Johnson, who's an elder, and Justin Sides, who is a member here. You're probably seeing him singing on stage. And so you may be wondering, what is Justin doing on stage? Well, Justin has been very instrumental and even foundational to the prep work for this series. And I want to give Justin an opportunity, time uh, just to tell us a little bit about himself and, and how he has got to this point where you're actually helping us with this topic about sexuality. And yeah, so go ahead, Justin. I want you to introduce yourself. I, th- I thought you were going to sing everything. Tonight. Yes, he is going to sing. Probably sound better. Waymaker. Right. Waymaker? All Do right, it. here we go. No. Uh, well, good evening. Thank you for having me. Um, so, the re- yeah, the reason I am up here um, is a great question. Um, so I actually received, um, completed a doctorate in uh, psychology um, from Regent University. I just finished that a couple of years ago. And while I was there, I had the opportunity to be a part of a research team that studied um, individuals who experience um, same-sex attraction, gender dysphoria, and who also um, call themselves Christians, call themselves believers, um, or are wrestling through how do, how do these things sort of mesh or do they mesh um, and so as part of that the guys kind of asked me to um, talk about some of the things that sort of stuck out to me um, or that I've learned um, and four four to five years of that is a little difficult to sort of sum up but I kind of wanted to highlight a few a few of those things um, one thing that really stuck out to me especially early on was uh, this experience when we're taught when we were talking with individuals who um, are experiencing same-sex attraction, they're uh, recognizing that they um, are just starting to find themselves experiencing these feelings. They're not necessarily um, something that they uh, willfully chose to experience um, or things like that. And we, we have kind of talked about that. I think uh, Bjorn talked about that in his message about um, how the fall impacts 
not only um, makes a, or contributes to sin and things like that, but also genetics, contributes to um, flesh, contributes to the way that our brains work and our minds work. Um, and, you know, I think uh, oftentimes we wonder, did, did God create someone this way? Right? And, and you know, I think we dis- we've kind of discovered, no, God did not create them this way, but their flesh impacts their, their um, feelings and thoughts and, and um, can contribute to the behaviors that they choose to, to engage in. Um, and so that was really eye-opening for me, I think, hearing people's stories, like seeing people struggle with, this is just something that I started to feel and then wrestling with, how do I sort of deal with these feelings? Um, and recognizing that people um, sort of take different routes, right? The letting their experience trump what what is what they've been taught in scripture, or vice versa, or finding some sort of mixture of the two. And, and I know that's sort of what spurred on a lot of this discussion. Um, the second thing that sort of stuck out to me was recognizing sort of this difference between uh, a temptation and then sin, right? So this, um, the people that we talk to sort of differentiate using same-sex attraction versus same-sex behavior and recognizing that the behavior is a willful choice and a willful um, step toward uh, that, with that attraction. But that, that attraction itself is a temptation like any of us um, kind of experience. And sort of the, and, and I'll talk about my dissertation in a second, but um, I know that sounds like fun, right? Uh, <laughs> Uh, kind of the the last thing and, and something that I was thinking about throughout the the messages that these uh, guys gave, um, which I thought were were great um, and convicting for me, um, was that the the change efforts that people that we talked with sort of put in were always sort of um, that the, that they were told to by pastors or their churches or, or whatever were always geared not always I shouldn't say always but often geared toward changing behavior, changing what you are attract, who you are attracted to, right? Changing, um, becoming straight, um, or becoming heterosexual and often not giving people the hope of the gospel. Um, and I think that, um, really, uh, is heartbreaking, um, because what the, then these individuals go looking for hope and for love and they find that elsewhere, even though it's false hope and false love, they don't find it in the church, and then they're leaving the church, or they're finding some sort of compromise for themselves. And, and, that, and that was um, really heartbreaking, but also something that sort of propelled me into studying this specifically. Um, so I had an opportunity to um, complete a dissertation, which is about as fun as it sounds, like I said. Um, but uh, my dissertation was specifically geared toward um, the title is Religious Supports for Parents of Individuals Who've Come Out as Lesbian, Gay, or Bisexual. Um, and so really looking at um, kind of do parents kind of stay at their church? What kind of experiences have they had? Um, what were the experiences of church members when they told them about their, their children? And then what has been helpful or not helpful for, for parents? And so we, we had interviews with um, over 200 parents uh, of kids who've come out, 202 to be exact, if you want the, the actual numbers. Um, but there's some kind of big numbers, and I wrote them down so I didn't forget them, um, that kind of stuck out to me. One is 
About 37% of those, so 75 people, actually left their church after telling people about um, their child coming out. Many of them um, indicating that uh, they received significant negative responses whether from other individuals, whether that was straight-up cruelty and hatred, um, something telling them that they did something wrong or, or um, something was wrong with the, the parents themselves, or a lot of them experienced isolation. Um, we, we don't know how to deal with this, so we're just going to let you kind of deal with it on your own. Um, stay away from us kind of behavior. And a lot of, I mean, that's a pretty significant amount of people who are leaving their church because of that. Um, Almost half of the people we uh, talked with um, said they didn't receive any support from the church, didn't receive any sort of um, help or guidance or um, uh, anything like that. And a big chunk of that is, I shouldn't say a big, part of that is because some people didn't even tell people at their church because they were afraid of the responses they would get. Um, And that's another kind of thing that has me sort of passionate about all of this, right, is the church should be a place where we can talk about things we're struggling with or, or sin, you know, whatever it is so that we can come alongside of each other. Um, the, um, and many did not feel their church was, um, equipped to discuss this at all. Um, in fact, some churches sent, um, those members to an expert to, to go talk to them about it, figure it out over there, and then you can come back here, um, which is also sad. Um, and then kind of the, the last um, thing, obviously it's a much longer dissertation than that, but um, those who described support um, said much of it came from um, individuals in the church, whether that's a pastor um, or a small group or um, just an individual who was their friend. Um, and I thought that was really um, interesting to me. You know, for a lot of people, it wasn't some big... Um, things said from the pulpit or some sort of organization that kind of came in and gave suggestions. It was more people walking with other people through this together and helping them, praying with them, being a, somebody that loves them. Um, and and I think that is, um, again, why I'm passionate about this. I guess why I'm up here, why uh, it's been a pleasure to be a part of this and talking about this with the guys about how do we engage this um, these individuals who are hurting and are struggling and don't don't know where to turn, we have the answer, but it hasn't been clearly um, expressed in the past from my experience. So. Thanks, Justin. I, I, I want to make sure you understand properly Dr. Justin Sides. This is something that you spent how long? You said about a year on your dissertation, right? Overall... Combined, it was probably more like two and a half, but... About two and a half years interviewing over 200 different people in a subject that's very near and dear to the pastors and elders' heart, and it should be all of our heart. And so even though statistics may be discouraging about the people who leave the church who don't find the help and the comfort and the hope that they should find in the church, what's also encouraging is those who do find help and hope, the statistics are propelling the reality of God's church and his people being the church to one another and actually finding the hope and the comfort that 2 Corinthians 1 talks about that we should find with one another. And so I I hope that Justin has introduced himself very quickly, but I hope you know this is why um, God led him to us and we've included him in this and we're very thankful for Justin. He led us to some books and even some resources that have been very helpful for me. I know all of us in this process and we'll continue, continue using Justin as a 
as a gift set here in our church to help with this issue. Dwayne, you were going to say something? At least I thought you were. Never mind. Don't let me call you well, out. I so much appreciate Justin. We should just give you a big hug right here. But, like, um, what was it, 2018 that we were doing Faithful Men? Mm-hmm. So he and I met. Um, I'm sure he felt like it, long, it was longer than it actually was. Um, but was every, every, was it Thursday or Friday morning just for a long time? And psychology as a field has a very bad reputation within evangelical Christianity. And perhaps some of that is well-earned. Um, we can even talk about some of that later maybe. But um, I was so encouraged that there was a man who is in that field but also has a deep love for Jesus Christ and his word um, because those are the exact kind of people that we need in fields like psychology. Um, so I so much appreciate Justin. Um, had good times at Bigby, even if he only got hot chocolate ever. And um, great opportunities to, to hang out. And I really, I really do want to commend uh, Justin. And as he's a, he's a member of our church, and you, uh, members or anyone who's part of our church, you can, you can talk to Justin. He's part of this body. Um, and I would encourage you to do that if you had questions coming out of this. All right, so we have multiple questions, and I've already seen uh, questions coming in from the text messages. Keep those coming in if you feel led to bring a question. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask a question. Um, give us time to talk about it. Um, but I will stop it if it goes too long. If it feels like we're repeating answers we've already given, I will stop it and we'll move on to the next Why one. Why are you okay. looking at me? I'm, not lo- I'm, I'm looking at everyone. Because your sermon was an hour long. <laughs> <laughs> that we looked over and told him to do. We're implicated we the, in that. We got the sermon yep. police over in green there. <laughs> I love it. First question, here we go. Starting it right off. Here's the question. Is it necessary for an LGBTQ plus individual to understand before coming to Christ that in coming to Christ, they will not be able to live out their sexual desire and will have to pursue a life of celibacy? So is it necessary for this individual to understand this before coming to Christ? So we're not pulling any punches, getting right into it right off the bat. And Corey will have Jeopardy music playing as we... The individual that wrote this question also referred to a passage. Yeah, so go ahead. Luke chapter 14. And uh, and I referred to this passage this morning. Um, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, his mother, his or his father, his mother, his wife, his children, brothers, sisters, yes, even himself, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So that's what I referred to this morning. Um, this, God's glory has to be absolutely paramount. That's the, that's the single most important priority for us when we're thinking about this. How is my activity? How, is, how are my words? How are the actions of individuals um, reflecting the glory of the Lord? So that's, that's the priority. But in this question, um, that's, so much of this is going to be dependent on the circumstance you find yourself in. There is an element of, and you know this, brother and sister in Christ, that it's like marriage. I don't know how many of us got married that are married 
with absolutely 100% pure motives in the marriage. We, it's almost like the Lord drops some blinders before our eyes and doesn't permit us to count the cost because if he did, none of us would get married if we saw what, what was before us. Because marriage is hard, at least at the beginning, and then the Lord does his work and refines. And um, The same thing goes for whether, whether it is someone that is, is, that's firmly entrenched in the LGBTQ community, lifestyle, same-sex behavior, um, living in whatever, whatever sin of their choice to fulfill their fleshly pleasures. There does have to be a counting of the cost. And the, and, and the passage goes on to say, um, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish it, or is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. There is, there does have to come a moment whether, and again, depending on the circumstance you find yourself in, the situation you find yourself in, there does need to come the moment where you say, there is a cost to be counted here. If you choose to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in your life, There are things in your life, not just this, but there are things in your life that you will spend the rest of your life submitting to the Lord Jesus and having him remove them from your life because they do not honor and glorify him. So, yes is the answer. Whether it's early, whether it's someone you're sitting down and you're having coffee with week after week after week, and you're and they're and they're seeking your counsel. Well, if I do come to Jesus Christ, what does that mean? Or if you if you run into someone on the street and you strike up a conversation and you realize they're they're living in same sex behavior, that's probably not the time to like throw the counting of the cost verse at them. But it still must come eventually. And the the great part of that is. The answer is yes. The short answer is yes. But the goal as we talk to anyone about Christ Jesus is that they would, that they would be saved. And being saved does, does not mean, well, well, you turn away from your sin and then you're saved. It's a work that Jesus Christ does to regenerate our hearts. And then we are, because of the work of God, conformed to the image of Christ. So it's not like the goal, oh, the goal is that you would... St- stop doing these things. That's just part of what it means to walk in this awesome relationship with Christ. So it, all these questions, just like Todd said, many of the answers are going to be highly contextual, and we have to be willing to be thinkers together. Um, and the awesome part is that we, we have the Holy Spirit. We're, we're not alone in how we think about it. <clears throat> I'm thinking... If someone thinks that in order for them to come to Christ, they must clean this up first, then we've done something wrong in our communication. Does that make sense? So if someone feels like, I can't come to Jesus before I take care of this. No, we come to Jesus because we can't take care of these things on our own. I think my own own individual experience was coming to an understanding of my own sinfulness, not necessarily my individual sins, but my sinfulness and the separation from God that I was already living in. And then coming to a place where I realize there's nothing I can do about it. 
I, I have no strength in, in and of myself. And so I see the easy yoke and the easy burden, the light yoke and the easy burden of Jesus. And I just come to him and he takes care of the rest. And I even realize that there's in my own life sins that he didn't even convict me of till years down the, the road. So I think this question, I think, hits at the heart of the struggle of all of us as believers when we're dealing with people who are in the LGBTQ plus community. How do we communicate to them? The gospel is always something that's hope-filled to people who feel like they can't do anything about their desires. And so the, the way that helps me answer this is if they leave thinking they must do this before they come to Christ, I've communicated wrongly. Any other comments on this one? Next question. And I feel like this might be directed towards me, so I might start us out on it. Uh, I understand the heart posture, which was a sermon I preached about a posture like Jesus. I understand the heart posture behind interacting with those that live a different sexual lifestyle. What are some practical ways to interact dealing with that topic when it comes up? How to be loving but also pointing out God's way. One thing I noticed is a lot of these questions kind of revolve around the same heart is like, I want, I want to speak and act rightly. And I think that's a good tension for us to be in. So basically the question is what are practical, practical postures in life when coming across people? I'm not going to answer that one yet, but I'm extremely distracted by the delay between foyer and here. Kevin, would you mind closing those doors? doors? Thanks. Oh, you can hear it. You're so, so much older than me. I'm surprised I can't hear it. I figured your ears would be horrible. So that's good. Your hearing's good. His, you're going you're to answer the question about love now. <laughs> Go ahead, Todd. No, oh, you're not going to answer it. You were just saying that. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah. I would say one thing we talked about before this was the... the What's really hard is trying to take the place of Holy Spirit as a pastor and a leader and trying to tell you, here's what you must do. Because really, at the end of the day, that's what we want. We want the, tell me the answer, so I don't have to think about it. I don't have to wrestle with it. Just tell me what to do. The Bible's not that simple. Life's messier, and God gives us the Holy Spirit, and he wants us to be yielding to the Spirit constantly to figure out what he wants us to do in the moment. And I think it's hard to give very detailed, practical, instant ways, like go and do this and apply this every single time, and it'll work out. I think for each walk that we must have, I think if we are focusing on the right thing, loving God first and then loving others, God, praying, a constant posture of praying, like, God, how can I help? What should I be saying in this moment? What should I be doing? I think, I think that type of posture constantly where we are in the tension and wrestling with God, what do you want me to do practically, I think gives greater ability for the Spirit to work in and, in and through us in the moments. Because if we... If we force ourselves into here's what I'm going to do and how I'm going to act every single way based off this scenario and we make it that simplistic then God may be wanting us to act in a different way in a certain moment and we'll miss it because we've we've just kind of adopted a simplistic um, outflow does, does that make sense yeah yeah you know I, th- I think um, think something I've been thinking about a lot since Jasper's message is that first point he made about a posture of empathy and not condemnation um, and just, I think, and I'm overgeneralizing, but I think the church as a whole, a lot of things I've heard from individuals in, in the LGBT commu- community is that 
the church doesn't understand what they're experiencing, right? And, they, and they're sort of off in the distance kind of telling them what to do. Here's how you fix things. Here's how you do things. And in order to empathize with someone, you have to know them. You have to understand what they're going through. And so building relationships with people, I think, is, is a good practical way. It looks different in different situations, but, but not just holding up signs and telling people, here's what you need to do, but actually being involved in their life, getting to know them. We see Jesus going over to people's houses, having dinner with them. Um, I know there's a, you know, there's a line to walk as far as not wanting to condone things or, or, or whatever, but if you're not even in a relationship with people, they're not going to listen to what, you're, what you have to say. Yeah. One of my concluding remarks today the practicalities of how to address these things. And this, this, this applies both in the body of Christ as well as outside. Like, how do we respond to those outside the body of Christ? Um, you, to, to echo what Justin said, you have to have the relational platform. You have to have it. Um, and, and speaking very personally here, um, one of the individuals I spoke about this morning, I've been... I, that, he's been in my life for 25 years and even more so over the last 18, 19 years. And somehow, and I still don't, I rack my brain over it, somehow I have communicated to him the message that I am self-righteous and, uh, and condemning. Um, the, 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 the judgment that we spoke about this morning, the condemning type of judgment. And I don't, I still don't know how I rack my brain over how. But here's, the, here's, here's what it is. He has that perspective of me. And so in order for me to build a, a platform with which to even begin to speak into his life, there are some confessions that needed to be made. And uh, so I, as we sat down and we talked for the first time since his coming out, I listened and I confessed. And so... Even as it relates to this, patience, 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 slow, 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 ask tons of questions. When I sit in a counseling setting, the first one, never have I experienced, I have the answer right now for that individual. Every first meeting with anyone I've ever counseled, it's like, oh my goodness, Lord, I have no idea what to say with, to this person. No idea. And so, so the, the word to pray your guts out Lord, bring clarity to this. How do you want me to respond to it? That's, that's what it is. Develop that relational platform. Confess where necessary. Be slow. Be patient. And seek the Lord. He will, I am telling you, if you seek the Lord in those moments, he will bring clarity with how to speak to them. It, in that question, there is this, I just want to take an opportunity to say there's an inherent slice of wrong thinking in the question, like the last part of that question, I think asks, well, how can I be loving? And then we use the word, but um, speak the truth about God's way. And the, the truth of God's word is that when you withhold that truth from someone, you're not being loving to that person. It's a very selfish act to, to, to say, well, I'm not going to tell you something that might sting um, because I don't want to mess our relationship up. That very thing is the... the, the is, is nurturing, life-giving truth. So to withhold that from someone um, and say, well, like, I'm trying to be loving, that's, I would say that's wrong thinking. I'm not saying that's a bad question to ask. Um, 
But just remembering the idea that Jesus, 100% full of grace, 100% full of truth. What Jasper preached um, was really about walking with wisdom towards outsiders. But it's not about withholding anything. It's just about communicating in a way that matches the fact that we've been transformed by Christ and we have this awesome truth to share with people. So as we think about that, don't put love uh, and truth, perhaps, on these opposite ends of a spectrum, because that's not what the Bible communicates at all. We, sh- we, d- we shouldn't be thinking about it in that way. Um, and in most cases, to, to not say things that are true um, is not loving at all and is really just a, a selfish act. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think that's a good balance to that question, too. Next question is this. And Bjorn, I'm going to let you start out with this one. How would you address a school or teachers allowing and providing sexually explicit books to be sent home with 10 to 12 years olds? So it's not just teaching sexuality, but teaching sexuality that would be different than what maybe the Bible teaches. So how would you deal or address school or teachers allowing and providing these things? I guess it, it depends. I mean, I have, I have an answer in my head because we already read these questions, but I have an answer in my head that, that's based on, like, if, if that's something that I read on a website about something that's occurring in a school district in Tennessee or something, um, I don't like that that would happen, but that's not directly interacting with my... So I have two boys. I have a, a 10-year-old and a 7-year-old. So the, the 10-year-old applies in that. So if Hunter, my oldest son, came home with those materials, I would do something immediately like immediately um, to deal with that. If I had heard that through some sort of train of rumors or gossip that it's happening in some case, I mean, Proverbs 18 would say, I need to find out more before I freak out about that. So I can be deeply offended that that could be a possibility, Mm -hmm. but the action I'm going to take is not going to be without investigation unless I know that that happened for certainty. So in that question, it's like, is that happening? Is it not? Well, I, 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 I kind of say, too, like, well, I don't, for my boys, they shouldn't be getting any material. I mean, if it's promoting um, biblical sex, that's something that Heather and I want and are, for whatever it's worth, just shared that, um, are teaching them. Um, but it's not something that, that we expect out of the schools and our, the teachers know that. You what said you, you would do something immediately. Would you do something? So what would you do immediately? Would you do something with Hunter? Would you do, call the school right now and say stop? Well, what kind, would you of, do? kind of all of the above on that. Like if, if you look in your child's backpack and they have um, materials that are, um, I'll just use the word inappropriate, um, deal with it right away in terms of protecting your child, then go to the teacher and say, what are you doing? Um, and then obviously since it's like... Since it's a matter that's worth talking about in terms of administration and stuff like that, talk to the principal and the administrators as well. So if it turns out to be um, malfeasance in terms of a teacher being a rogue thing, like that's a different thing to be dealt with than it's a sanctioned thing of a public school teaching these things. But both of those would require action. But I, I'm not going to spin my wheels at the same time as a father. If I read about that happening elsewhere, what I'm going to try to do is understand it more, whereas if it's, if it's something that's happening, happening in my life, right away, do something about it. Is that? Yes, and keep in mind, keep in mind, keep this in mind. Yes, yes, you want to protect your kids, but also remember, 
the teacher, the school administration, wherever this came from, they're a spiritual being too. And you need to keep in mind, whatever I do in this situation, I'm either pointing that individual, that teacher, to Christ or away from Christ. So while you want to protect your kids, you also want to know that's a soul that is either separated from God right now and condemned to hell or is in relationship with Christ. And let's talk about this and what this means in the body of Christ. So always, 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 yes, defend your kids. Keep in mind that's an individual too that needs to know about Jesus. I mean, my kids go to public school as well, so I know you're going out into something that's not, it's not the church, and that we should be surprised when the world isn't going to adopt biblical things. And, and I got to address that with my kids. So there's always going to be things that they deal with in school from a public realm where I need, to, I need to make sure I, as a parent I'm interacting, I'm teaching, I'm bringing influence and teaching above and beyond and alongside what they're learning. And if it got to a point where I'm like, it's, it's too much, I would pull my kids out of the school. Thankfully, we live in a place where they don't have to go to public school if we don't want them to. And Sarah and I would find a way to homeschool or figure out where, somewhere because if it gets to a point where it's like this is... But I think going back to Bjorn's question, is this teacher doing this or is it the school sanction? If it's school sanctioned, then that's a tough one. That's when, as a parent, we've got to say, okay, how, do I want to allow my kid to continue to read this, to learn this? Do I want to bring along right teaching alongside of it? Or do I just want to pull them out of that again? That's when you've got to pray about it. Pray about it and be obedient to what the Spirit tells you to do. Anything else? All right, Justin, I'm directing this one towards you. For as long, here's a question. For as long as I can remember, the church has used the phrase, God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Are we now trying to say that God did create some people with same sex attraction, or is it the world that has perverted sexual orientation? I know when you were giving your introduction, you kind of addressed that a little bit, but maybe bring us back to that and we can talk about it for a little bit if we need to. Yeah, so I think um, before I even brought it up, Bjorn brought it up in his message. Um, talking about how the flesh impacts, um, sin has impacted multiple areas of life, not just our um, temptations, right? The genetics have been impacted. We talk about medical disorders that are genetically, um, that was never God's intent, and that's not something God um, makes, right, or creates. But sin in, in, um, has impacted those things and corrupted um, even our bodies. And, and so I think talking about, no, God did not create someone with this, but that does not mean that they don't just experience or feel that without any sort of decision they've made on their own. Um, the question, I think, becomes what do you do with that feeling or the experience or, or whatever? Um, it's, does that? Yeah, it, what, when you say, so there's a term homosexual, you have to define what you mean when you say homosexual. Are you talking about someone who's right. attracted to the same sex or someone who has same-sex behavior? Mm-hmm. And, and so when you say that, I think that helps clarify Yeah, I think that's where about. language can be very important in how we talk about this. Um, when, when you use homosexuality broadly, people think of many different things, right? And, and that can be misconstrued as someone who experiences the temptation of same-sex attraction falls into this... Um, 
definition of homosexuality that's being taught as what you know wrong or whatever and not whatever but as as not god's way but can we sort of be nuanced in thinking about this individual is experiencing this temptation that does not automatically mean that they have fallen into sin with that temptation um and so that's where talking about using different language as far as same-sex attraction versus same-sex behavior, and um, there are lots of different uh, terms that people use, obviously, but that's where really understanding what people are talking about or what they're experiencing, what's going on, and not just making a snap decision when someone um, says maybe they experience those things. Like when, when you look at Psalm 51, 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. That's not talking about his mother. It's talking about him in the womb. Um, we need to remember that, like, we think about someone being born a certain way as if, well, then, the, like, like, well, that, that has to be sanctioned by God then. Like, if I was born some way. And I, I was born with a genetic condition. Um, unfortunately, I passed it to my son, Brock, um, so he was born with it. Now, it gets really hard, and you stumble around in terms of saying, well, is that God's will? or good? Like, God did not design us to be broken in regard, and disordered in terms of how our body works together in our, in our inward parts. Like, that's just not the design of God. But that does not mean because of sin and because of the fall that when we're born, that, that uh, somehow if we're born a certain way, that that means that that's sanctioned by God. We, we really need to remember that because for so long, it feels like the church has spun its wheels in regards to saying, like, well, what's the cause of these things, cause of attractions or cause of these behaviors? And really, what's the cause of any, anything in our lives? It's not generally one thing. It's that we do have genetic problems. We're, we're broken. Like, we're degrading as a, as a human race. And then physiology. Like, I don't have a gallbladder either. So I'm just falling apart because um, it got taken out because it was going to blow up at some point. So I don't have that either because that didn't work right. So genetics and then physiology, like the, my body systems didn't work the right way. And then obviously because of my flesh, and you'll know this, my brain doesn't work the right way. I don't think the right way because, um, because of my flesh. But the awesome part is that in Christ, like I'm not conformed to the way the world thinks about that. And I can be transformed by renewing my mind because of the work of Christ Jesus and the truth that's in his word. So we really need to focus on those things in terms of causation. Causation, it is what it is. But what's the most important thing is what do we do with our circumstances? Do we honor God with our behavior, with our thoughts and our bodies? Go ahead, Todd. I can still hear really well. Oh, I see what you're saying. Touch, touch, yeah. I apparently can't hear well, and this guy's got super, super hearing. Um, but your, your beard is turning gray. But his beard's turning gray, that's for sure. Love this guy. That's just a sign of wisdom. Um, to conclu- I think to conclude that question, it, it's always helpful if we remember, that's why right theology matters. So the right theology about man anthropology, understanding that from the scripture, God created everything good, but since that creation, the, the creation has been marred. The image of God has been marred. And so every single one of us is born into a world 
with wrong thinking and wrong desires. And so it's actually unhelpful if someone's expressing, I've always felt this way, I've always been here, and then for us to try to convince them no. No, we should connect with that person like, yeah, and let me tell you what I've struggled with my whole life as well. What I want to help you see is that God has created something that's like amazing and it's right here. And all of us are born here and we're trying to find satisfaction here through the desires that we have and are born with and are struggling with. And God's saying, man, I've created something so much better than anything you even realize. And so what, if you're trying to fulfill your desires, you need to see the desires are flowing from a fall and a curse that infects us all because of Adam. And I think it's unhelpful then, to, like you said, I think spinning your wills, like trying to have this debate, like, no, you weren't. Yes, you were. You weren't. Now, when, if someone's had an experience, I've always, like, that's a losing argument. It's not going to be helpful or edifying. All right. Next question says this. After a discussion with someone in the LGBT community, uh, this came to mind. How do we as a Christian to help those in the LGBT community know that our intent is not to harm even when our actions show otherwise? How do we show love even when we hate the sin? The person I was talking to knows God but avoids church because they believe everyone hates them based on actions toward them. And I think this question kind of embodies some of the other questions that we're seeing as well that have to do with this angst between I'm a Christian and I want to know where the fine line between loving someone. And so this one keeps coming up. So I think if it keeps coming up, it's worth answering. So what do we want to say? How do we as Christians help those in this community know that our intent is not to harm even when our actions show otherwise? I get it. I mean, it's hard to write questions sometimes and maybe you're on on your phone or whatever, but like if our actions have shown intent to harm someone, that's not a, a good thing. Um, now, someone's perception of words that we might use, that, that could be something to consider. Um, but if someone consistently walks away from you as an individual and says, I felt like they're trying to hurt me, to harm me, um, that's something that you should pray about it and work on. Now, if the only way that someone could feel unharmed is for you to affirm everything that they say, well, then you're kind of at an impasse. Um, but I would say, like, the church is not trying to harm anyone. They're trying to help. Them. I think of the, the scene in, uh, sorry, Charles, I have to do it, quoting um, The Fellowship of the Ring. So Tolkien, am I allowed to do that in church? Um, all right. So Gandalf, the wizard, um, is trying to help the hobbit, um, Bilbo. And Bilbo starts freaking out and snaps at him. And he's like, Bilbo Baggins, I'm not some conjurer of cheap tricks. I'm trying to help you not to harm you. And that's, that's what we as the church are to do, and that's what God our Father does. He is not trying to crush you and smash you and harm you. That is, that is not the heart of God. What he's trying to do is help you, and sometimes that means he does things that sting. If the church's reputation is that to those individuals, um, I go to, we, you know, we, we call ourselves Summit Church now, and we've, we've reworded our pillars to make them much more personal for you to remember you are a part of the church. You are the church. And so while, again, thinking about the relational platform, while maybe the church in general has been hurtful to these individuals, it's on you to show them that's really not what the church is like. This is what it is like. And when, when I think about Second Corinthians chapter 5, I told these guys, it's one of my, like, I... 
It seems like it has the answer for everything. The Apostle Paul says before to be ambassadors for Christ, declaring the ministry of reconciliation, he says, the love of Christ controls us. That's what Paul says of him and the guys that are running around with him. The love of Christ controls us. And we're supposed to say that. We're supposed to be able to say the love of Christ controls us. I am broken over that. Because how often does the love of Christ not control me as I am to declare the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and the patience and His, his long-suffering and His mercy and His grace? The love of Christ must control us when we are representing Him as a member of His body and His church. Jesus said that those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, and he reminded his disciples, they will hate you. They hate me, they will hate you. And I, so there's always a sense, we've got to be careful because I think sometimes these questions need to always, I think they are, but sometimes when it goes too far, uh, it's flowing from a heart of compassion. I want to have the posture of Jesus. But sometimes our, we need to make sure our idol or our motivation doesn't go into, I don't want to ever offend. And there has to be a way I can talk and talk about the truth in a way that won't offend them. And if that's our goal, always looking for that, then I think we'll compromise. I think in the end we'll end up compromising the truth. So there is a point to where the truth that saves and the truth that is good and the truth that is best for people is always at some point going to sting our nature because our nature is opposed to it. Um, and, and sometimes it's like, I'm not going to go get the shot because the shot hurts. And so we always avoid it because of that initial pain. Um, and so I, that's a caveat. That's a caveat. So I, I'm already like, I'm seeing your questions come in too. So I'm seeing there's is a tension that the Christian lives in as far as like, I want more than anything to know people know how much I love them with the love that Christ has for me. And when I see them respond, thinking that I hate them, it kills me inside. And it makes these things so hard. But we don't apologize for the truth. Um, but we do do everything in our, in our power to help them hear it clearly. And I think that's where our posture and our attitude comes in. So it's the right, right place to be in. All right, let's, let's go to the next question. Todd, this one's for you. I think this was a very interesting one. How would our church handle a pastor slash elder that is struggling with the sin of sexuality? And then here's the, the, the further part of the question. Would our church handle it differently if that sin was public versus in private? Has anyone... How many of, how many of you have been around for like 15 years? So you know the answer to this one. If we could... As an elder in this church, as a pastor in this church, we are, we hold, we hold each other to the biblical standard that is laid out for us, that we must be above reproach in everything. My, our desire, our aim as elders is to be and staff is to be humble and above reproach in everything. 
We should have absolutely nothing at all to hide. And so, as much as it's possible, our lives should be public, on display. This is who we are. We have no secrets to keep from you. You can trust us. That's out. You can trust that we are walking in accordance with how God would have us to walk. And so, my hope would be that there is nothing private that needs to be hidden from you. And so, if I could refer to Matthew chapter 18, and again, if you've been here for a while, you know if there is a private sin that needs to be made public, it will be made public. And it has in the past on numerous occasions. We had a pastor who, a long time ago, found himself in sexual sin. And, and because of the nature of his position and his leading, it became what was private, became public. If what can't be handled in private, if we can't handle an issue of sexuality or anger or greed, greed or idolatry, idolatry, drunkenness, drunkenness, and you can add to the list, that is going to be dealt with. And I would say this, it would start on a private level, as Matthew 18 would suggest, and we would continue to walk it out until there was repentance. So can I piggyback on that then? Yes. So someone wants to be hired, we're in a position to hire someone, and they confess, I have these temptations, but I I am celibate. What do we do? There are many other qualifications that go along with being um, brought on as an elder or pastor. Um, And so, if let's say he met all of those other qualifications, I would hire that individual. If if a guy came to me and he said, and he met all he met all the qualifications for the position, and he was righteous before the Lord, and he said, "I have these desires." that I have people in my life to hold me accountable. I refuse to let what the desire is to turn into sin, to turn into behavior. I have not done that. I have never done that, and it's not my intention to ever do that. I would have no trouble at all hiring that individual, whether it's same-sex attraction or he is dealt with, he deals with some level of, if we can call it heterosexual, temptation, um, I would have no trouble hiring that individual. Is that clear? Mm-hmm. Is that clear? I think so. Okay. Anything else? Nope. Next question. Well, can I jump in on that? Do Just it. To, I guess the only, like you mentioned the qualifications, and when you look at, you look at Titus and First Timothy 3 especially, there's so many qualifications that are basically these indicators of I put God at the top, I put others above myself, and I'm at the bottom. I am the last. 
So I, I think there is an aspect where, like, there was a question, and I know I'm jumping ahead, but, like, th- this question of, like, hey, can you be a gay Christian? And I know there, there's uh, people who um, are known, especially writers, who are, they, they kind of lead with that. Um, and it's really, then it gets to an issue of, like, well, what's your identity? So I just want you to know as a, as a body, like, when someone aspires to be an elder, um, it's, a, it's a noble desire that someone would have. But the Word of God says much about that, and we don't, we don't really joke around about that. That's a serious thing for us. And if someone comes in and their heart is that they would place themselves or a certain agenda or something that they would like the church to change in um, above the health and growth of the church um, and really above the desires of God, like that person just needs time to grow into that, and it's not like we would do that right away. So I, I know that this is such a hot-button issue that people— People want to talk a lot about it. But ultimately, we have really clear instructions from the Word of God of what we're supposed to talk about and teach. Um, and it's not just one thing. So if there's, a, if there's an individual who's like, this is, this is who I am and this is what I'm going to promote and talk about a lot, um, that person can minister to the Lord. But there may be a time in which, like, just be patient then in regards to, to being an elder. So I'm, I'm just ping-ponging around ideas, but that would be really important knowing the hearts of our elders as much as I could and the things that we talk about, um, it, it's something to consider. It's not just something to dismiss and, and, and throw aside, like, yeah, okay. Not that you were saying that, dude. Okay. Calm down, you two. No, there's no, there's no angst or tension here. Um, <laughs> um, the next two questions are similar, but from a different perspective. Justin, I'm actually very interested in your application to these questions or answers. The first one's this. Um, I work with a high school student who is transitioning from being a female to a male. He is now having surgeries that can, can alter his body. How do I pray for him? I am kind and respectful, but it breaks my heart. So really the question is how do we pray for the person? And it's for someone who is transitioning from one gender to another. What should our prayers look like? in those moments? It's a good question. Um, I, I think, first of all, I think a lot of the prayer should be for yourself, right? Like, how do I interact with this individual? How do I talk with them? How do I show them um, Christ's love in this? Um, I, You know, I think in all of this, we're talking about people who are broken just like we are and are searching for hope and and are looking for it they think they're going to find it here or here or here and we know that the only true hope is christ and so i think the prayers are not just about this individual but how do i show them that hope is in christ and christ alone and then again the behavior change comes later right it's it's more about praying that they see there is hope in the gospel and how can I show them that hope? I think, yeah, continuing to be loving and respectful, but also just pouring love and truth, like we talked about, out on those people. Um, And so, yes, pray for them, but pray for yourself in those situations. How do I actively show that the hope is in the gospel? Can you... I know it's not your area of specialty, but just help our church understand in some way um, 
why, like we, we have LGBT, AI. the inclusion of, of transgender in there where that's, like, can you distinguish, do you see what I'm getting at? I, yeah. Okay. It's different, right? I mean, you know, we, I think we've been focusing mostly on um, same-sex uh, attraction, same-sex behavior. Um, individuals who um, are transgender are experiencing something we call gender dysphoria, and I think we talked about that liking that word dysphoria because it's part of sort of um, brokenness, right? This sort of something doesn't feel right. Um, And so they're experiencing this, uh, I was born male or I was born female, but in my head and my heart and, and everything about me feels like I should be the opposite sex that I am or there are all these other, you know, um, non-binary, uh, genderqueer, those kinds of things. That that's a, a lot to get into. But um, recognizing that individuals who are experiencing gender dysphoria is it's a very different thing than um, same-sex attraction, and so it's often lumped in with LGBTQ plus. Um, but recognizing that it's very very different. Um, do you have more than that? That's helpful. Question? Yeah. Yeah, I, that is really helpful. And I, just, just for the sake of our church, though, though those things are different, we, we, we do have to remember that regardless of our circumstances, we always have to respond to those circumstances in a godly way. Um, so important to distinguish between those two things, to recognize, like the term gender dysphoria, or dysphoria in general is very helpful to understand a torn feeling or a brokenness or almost like internal disassociative feeling. And yet those feelings come from the the brokenness of our flesh. And the answer to that is is the gospel. Um, I don't, don't, you probably didn't have the stats just in regards to those who do transition um, in regards to either living a life um, kind of in secret or those who actually get surgery and try to change, just the, the futility of doing that is proven out by the, the data um, that we have. And we can, we can get numbers if, if that's important to any of you. But really the idea that when you transition, it doesn't solve the dysphoria that you have because ultimately it's rooted in a brokenness that comes from our flesh. The answer is not to try to be something um, other than, than you are. The answer is Christ Jesus that's also way more complex um, than 55 minutes left to have. And none of us are super skilled in regards to having dealt with, like we've, we've all dealt a lot with issues in regards to same-sex attraction and same-sex behavior. The gender dysphoria and transitioning of people, like that's not something that we've dealt with as much. Um, and also we did want to focus on that because it's just given prevalence, it's more same-sex attraction and same-sex behavior is way more prevalent and common um, in our body. But I'm, I'm not saying that um, gender dysphoria is not something that's going on or people are um, suffering in regards to in our body. Does that, did I say that right, Todd? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, uh, so to get back to the, the point of the question, how do we pray for someone like that? Remember this. Think about what you are like right now with the Holy Spirit inside of you. And think about the battles you have today while ha- with temptation while having 
the Holy Spirit inside of you. Now, I don't know where this individual stands as it relates to the Lord, but remember this. If, you, if an individual, remember what it's like to have the Holy Spirit and to wrestle over the things that you're wrestling over. Now imagine you don't have the Holy Spirit and you have to wrestle over these things. This individual that's, that's dealing with gen, gender identity issues, if, they, if that person doesn't have the Holy Spirit, your prayer begins with salvation. That's right. It begins with salvation because there is zero, no matter what they want to claim to be, there is no hope for them when they stand apart from Jesus Christ. And so your prayer becomes very simple. Save that soul. Let's not worry about what gender they are. Let's worry about where their soul is right now. I think that's all I have to say about that. I would add, just because it's fresh in my mind based off the sermon that I preached, but Justin said it, in terms of a prayer, a prayer of intercession, not aloofness, Paul prayed in that passage, I, I want to be close to people. I want to be able to have the opportunity to speak with them. And so a, a prayer that's not always in the third person or always at a distance, a prayer that's like, God, I want to be the number one person in their life. Like, give me the opportunity. Let me be the person that gets to be their friend and love them. Like a prayer that propels us close to people. Because that's what Jesus did. Um, and if we're praying that, I believe God gives us opportunity. So I think salvation, but then you got to use me. You got to use me. Use I, I. I want to be the vessel that you'll use to show Jesus to them. So, but sometimes we don't know what that looks like. That's why we got to be praying and be sensitive to what Jesus is saying. Amen. 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 And remembering, you can't change the heart. Only God can change the heart. And so you fight for all your might to be the one that Christ, the image bearer of Christ, to these people. But remembering, 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 it is only God who can change the heart. The next question is similar to it, but it's in regards to a gay family member. So they have an extended family member who chooses to live as a lesbian. She was raised in a Christian home and claims to be a believer. How do we pray for her and the partner? What do we say when family members talk? The conversation is often not kind and people in our family look down on her. See how quiet it got? So the question is, there's an extended family member who's a lesbian, raised in a Christian home, and claims to be a believer. The question is, how do we pray for her and the partner? And then, what do we say when family members talk? And then they give a caveat. The conversation is often not kind, and people in our family look down on her. I go back to these two individuals I shared with you this morning. And the one who has come to repentance said, when Wendy asked him, are you tempted to go back to that lifestyle? And he said, yes. He said, but the peace that God has given me since repentance and walking away from that, I would never, ever want to do anything to disrupt the peace that, the, that God has given me. That comes from right relationship with him. And so... Wendy and I have used that. So practically speaking, how do you pray? Wendy and I have used that with the other individual. We're now praying that God's peace would be what it needs to be in his life. 
praying that peace would come for him. Knowing this, it's, I didn't say this this morning, the one who is deciding to declare Christ, he is my Savior, and is living in perpetual, unrepentant sexual immorality. Life is not going to get better. Romans chapter 1 makes that very clear. It's only going to get worse. So if you want to know how to pray for this individual, you pray that the peace that passes all understanding would wash over this person. God's going to bring it in His time. But sometimes in order to get to that place of peace, you have to go through messy, 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 messy stuff. So this other individual, he lost his job, he lost his reputation, he lost his family, and guess what? He still doesn't have his family, and he is experiencing peace like he never has before. And so the desire is for the other one, Lord, bring your peace, knowing, knowing that it's likely going to take some really hard and messy things to bring him to a place where he can experience the peace that comes from being in right relationship with Christ. I think, I think the harder part of that question, too, is, is how, do you, how do you do with family that are not being kind? I, I just thought of James 3, and it's talking about the tongue, um, and very convicting for me, but the tongue is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And then in verse 9, so James 3, 9, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So I think you, in that, whoever asked that question, you need to be brave and demonstrate courage, which is doing the right thing even when you're afraid. In, in two ways. In two ways. And that's... That's in regards to talking. Um, it was a f- extended family member. And then also, in telling your family, don't talk that way. That's not right to speak about someone in that way. And just from my own personal experience, that's often harder than talking to those um, who are in sin. But do not be afraid to do that because you must. Um, that's what Jesus calls us to do. And to piggyback off of that, I think remembering what Todd talked about today that the goal is reconciliation and repentance, right? And encouraging the family members to recognize that as well, not to, it's to get the the kid off the track, right? It's to, to bring them back to Jesus and not to continue to use their tongue in a, in, in a way that's ungodly. Hey, we talked about an intermission. It's well past intermission time. Feel free if you need to get up and get a drink or stretch your legs, go for it. Yeah, don't feel bad to walk out. This is just conversational. But we're going to keep going with the questions because there's a lot, and there's a lot coming in. So I'm encouraged by seeing all the questions coming in via the text message. We're going to do our best to try to get to as many as we can. I just saw this again, so middle of James chapter 1. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear. Slow to speak and slow to become angry. And then verse 20, so we know 19 because that's like, you know, Bible, what, Sunday School 101. 
But then, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So, you being angry at someone does not bring the righteousness of Christ. Only, only just as Todd said, only Jesus chooses to do that. Um, and what a, this awesome thing that, for some reason, he, he includes us. He uses us in that process. Um, but us being angry about things towards people doesn't bring the righteousness of God. So this is a question of uh, uh, practice. So a lot of what we're talking about, I want, I want you also to think, how does what I believe translate into what I do? So how does what I believe translate into what I do? And I think that's what we, we struggle with because we have a belief that may be black and white, but does that translate always black and white in my interactions with people? And so this next question, I think, is wrestling with that. What is the appropriate way to decline an invitation to a co-worker's gay-slash-lesbian wedding when asked in person if attending? And I would actually put another, a first question in that, is it appropriate to decline? And then, if so, what's the best way to do it? These are the type of questions like, please don't ask this. Please don't ask this. Please don't answer this one. Please don't, yeah. But yeah, we got, this is, this is what we're all thinking. Here's the great, well, I go back to the question about, well, what do you do if the, the school is sending home sexually explicit material from health class to, with your 10-year-old? We, I'm personally reluctant to share what I would do because then it feels like, it, it seems like what I wouldn't want is you to receive, well, that's what one of my pastors would do, so that's what I should do. I, 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 def, I, don't want, I don't want it to be that. We need to be Berean, Acts chapter 17. We share with you what we believe Scripture is bringing to bear in the life of our church, and then it's on you. It's on you to take that Scripture and be sure that you agree with it. Because, remember, the day is coming when you're going to stand before the Lord, and, and, you, and Jesus is going to say, so why did you do it that way? Well, Todd, he said, this is the way he would do it, so I figured because he's one of my pastors, this is the way I do it. And he's going to say, hey, don't worry about Todd. I have a meeting with him in just a little bit. This is between you and me. <laughs> and so the, the, some of this that we provide is like we're trying to help you with the practicalities of this thing, these things. Understand, a year from now, we could have a different reaction to that, such as, you know what, I would homeschool my child, or, you know what, I love that this is happening because now that my son has been exposed to this, I can parent him through it before he's out of the house. So, like, there are so many different ways we can look at this, but it's between you and the Lord with what He says, when we can, I, we're willing and ready to talk with you about it, but r- understand this, just because we say this is the way we would handle it doesn't mean that's the way you should handle it. Does that make sense? Now, what was the mm-hmm. question again? Because I don't know what it was again. The question is, how do you, how do you decline okay. an invitation to a gay wedding? Okay, so here we go. I personally, I would want to know where they both stand as it relates to the Lord. Number one, if either one of those professes Christ, 
If either one of those professes Christ, it becomes clear for me, and now again, I'm, remember, I'm not going to be sitting next to you when you stand before the Lord someday. But this is what I believe. First Corinthians, what is a wedding? A wedding is a celebration. It's a time of rejoicing. If either one of those professes relationship with Christ, I think of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, an expression of love is not rejoicing with evil. That is a union I do not believe God ordains according to the Scriptures, and so therefore I would not want to communicate a message that I am celebrating this because love doesn't rejoice with wrong. I have not thought and prayed about long enough and hard enough to let you know what I would think if I was in a secular workplace in a, in a gay co-worker said, invited me to a wedding between him and his partner. I don't know what I would do. I know that is very unsatisfying, but I don't know what I would do there. Yeah, I mean, I mean, as I think about the question and the manner in which it's asked, um, I think it's a good question. So one of you asked it, good question for whatever it's worth. That it sounds like you've decided in your mind that you've already declined that, that you don't want to affirm that. Um, so then it's just, how, how do you be, be kind um, in basically expressing your convictions? Um, and you, you just have to do that according to the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, but I don't think that you should at all feel ashamed that you don't want to participate in that because it is a celebratory act. So I think it said, like, hey, how do I, dec- yeah, how do I decline an invitation? Um, I, would, I would pray about it and then recognize that that might cause and probably will cause some relational struggle. Ultimately, that is worth it um, to stick with your convictions. And your church is with you in that, um, not in, in regards to the fact that you would have to struggle through that. There's people you can talk to, small group. Um, you can talk to Jasper about it. <laughs> Um, but you're not alone. You're not alone at all. Um, the church is the household of God. We're all together in this. God helps us in the gray areas of life. Romans 14 is a good one. We, there's a part of this, it's not a cop-out answer, but there's a part where God wants us in the tension. He doesn't want us to have a black and white answer, and he wants us on our knees praying. He wants us first testing our own heart. Are we seeking? Are we loving God without a heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then loving our neighbor as ourselves? And with that motivation, seeking him in prayer, honestly desiring to want to do the thing that honors him first, and then loves others as a result of it, through those prayers and those seekings and honoring the word, not going against God's word, but coming to a place where your own personal conviction would flow from that type of heart, the scripture says, let each person be fully convinced in their own mind. And so that's, that's, it, this is, these are the questions where I know it's like, please just tell me what to do. But this is, these are the questions where as your pastors, you need to be challenged, need to be challenged, be on your knees, studying to show yourself approved, seeking God's face and what he would have you to do. 
in these areas because they matter. And that's what it means to walk in wisdom towards outsiders. It means you put in the work, you put in the effort, and you put in the posture that shows I care more about God's honor and glory and more about others than I do feeling comfortable at night and feeling like I did everything right and I feel great because I'm doing everything right and I'm thinking right. It's putting in that effort to put God first and others second. We've had a lot of questions come in, actually, so I'm going to lump all of these questions that we've come in that deal with this next topic, and it's on the topic of sexual abuse. Whether it's, uh, so it's kind of a broader topic. We've talked about sexuality, so questions more like those who've ex- experienced sexual trauma and assault, um, watching and observing parents who have been as sexually assaulted or assaulted by family members, um, those in the LGBT who have been assaulted in the past and how that plays an effect uh, into um, even their own trauma later in life and how they deal with that. One person even asked, I think it was texted in, what percentage, I thought it was good, what percent of the people that Justin studied were sexually confused due to experiences of abuse during childhood, during teenage years? So this is a big lump question that has to do with um, sexual abuse and then how the church would help and respond to those who've been sexually abused. So maybe, Justin, you can answer that first part of the question, and then we can talk about the, the church's responsibility to sexually abuse. So in your study, your dissertation, did you come across sexual abuse at all? A little bit. Um, I think, you know, going back to kind of some things we talked about, it's rarely one one thing, right? It's There's a, a lot of things that have happened. I don't remember the exact number, um, I think it was somewhere around, you know, one to two percent of the individuals I had talked to, their child had experienced sexual abuse, and they wondered if that played a role or impacted them. But I did not talk to those individuals specifically. You know, I know there have been some studies out there um, about that, but they're fairly inconclusive because, again, it is it's complicated um, within that and recognizing that it's not just one thing, though that certainly can play a role in a, uh, impacting how people feel about um, their abusers or the, the sex of their abusers. Um, it, it's, it's complicated and it's hard. Um, so now sexual abuse in general. And those who we've talked about sexuality is designed by God, but then those who've experienced the brokenness and been the victims of the brokenness in the world, how, how do we as a church respond to that? I want to add my personal question to it and ask you guys, do you think the church has done a fabulous job at helping those who've been sexually abused and experienced sexual trauma? How well do you think that the church, capital C church, has done in the last 50 years with that? What do you think, Justin? Not, not great. Um, from just, you know, I think part of what got me interested in studying this as well was I felt that just in general, the idea of how the church approaches sexuality was broken um, and recognizing that not just um, same-sex attraction or, or things like that, but in general with um, heterosexual um, individuals and, and included in that being sexual abuse and not, um, not allowing... Uh, space for individuals who've experienced that to to talk about it. There's a lot of um, shame that's associated with that. And we talk about 
shame of sin being a positive thing for us to, to go to go to Christ, but when there's that question of what did I I didn't do anything wrong to to deserve this or experience this, and there's that other shame that's underlying that I think the Satan uses to pull people away from Christ, um, and I think the the church as a whole, and I you know I've only been in this church a couple of years, so I'm not saying us specifically, but has not done a good job of putting our arms around those people and letting them know that God loves them and and um, walking through that with them. That was good. Thanks. We want to be better. I, we want to be a better church at handling these types of things. Um, we have, I just want to put it out there, we've talked through this for the last hour and a half. Um, we have people standing ready to talk to you about some of these deep-seated issues. Um, we don't have magic wands that we wave over everyone and pain from past goes away. Um, but we do have the strong and the sound Word of God that we're ready to walk through with you. Uh, we have studies um, that Donna can't... Excuse me, Donna, sorry. Donna... Donna... Parker... I am ashamed again. Donna Parker um, has walked some ladies through that have had significant trauma in their pasts, and, um, and they've proven to be very, very helpful. So while not having an answer for this question other than, no, the church hasn't done a great job, but we want to be better at it, we do have people standing ready to walk you through what the Word would have to say about bringing you healing. We have... Um, we have materials that we can walk you through, and uh, so don't be afraid to ask for help, okay? Absolutely. Um, I remember we went, uh, were we there with the conference when, or maybe it was just me, I went down to Lafayette to the uh, uh, Faith Ministries, the counseling conference they have week long, and they, they, had, they, they dealt with this issue, of especially from the perspective of biblical counseling, and and then they actually did it as an address to the whole church. And they, they gave their opinion, those who are in the trenches, about how the church has, has been. And I know personally of a, of a, of a church where the pastor's son had had, had sexual relations with uh, a young, young girl in the youth group, about 13. He was 30. And it was just swept under the rug, right? And so you can imagine the father of that child. Right, and so the church has the response of justice. We are to, we are to come alongside those who who have been victims and be the safest place for them and fight for them and help them. And the church must deal with that type of sin. It has to be dealt with. It can't be swept under the rug. And I think that's probably if people sense an error, it's it's on the basis of grace, not dealing with the sin that must be dealt with publicly. And so. As it comes to those who've experienced sexual trauma and abuse, they, they're not going to come to church if they don't feel like they're going to be heard and helped and if, and if justice or at least their side's not heard. And I know it's far messier than just saying we gotta, we got to be judge, jury, and executioner, but people need to be able to come and find help, and especially if it happens within the household of God. There are some times where it transcends us just dealing with our problems here. There are some times where it has to go. It has to go to the court, and it's a criminal offense. If it's criminal, the church doesn't sweep it under the rug. The church, first and foremost, is the first one going and calling and saying, this is criminal, this needs to be dealt with, and, and not hiding it. 
And uh, yeah, that's that's my take on it. Yeah. So, anything else before I move on to the next question? Going? Yeah, it's just echo everything that these guys have said. We just have to remember. Like I, I know that some of you have experienced those things, and you, there's an aspect where you just we have to be okay with just I don't know why those things happen, and it's awful. Um, I've been talking with Jasper a lot about there's this biblical theme of wilderness, like it just keeps showing up over and over and over again, and I think some teachers don't like churches don't help people. Because they say when you come to Christ, you're just out of the wilderness right away. And you don't suffer at all. And that's just not how it works. And that's not what the Bible says. And there's this awesome pattern. I always do this. I'm like Mr. Crying Guy. I have kids and then it just, I just fall apart. Um, well, I didn't have the kids. Heather did. But oh, I contributed. That's good clarification. Um, but like, you look in Scripture and there's the wilderness. So that God takes the people out. And they disobey, so he keeps them there. But this awesome part is that he is always with them, and he's always right there. And then you look at even the prophets go, and Elijah does this awesome thing, and then he's out in the wilderness, and he has this prepared speech he gives to God. But God is still with him, and he shows, God shows more of himself um, to Elijah in that case than probably we'll ever experience this awesome supernatural thing. And then Jesus goes into the wilderness and just conquers it all. And I know that there's things that happen to us because there's things that happen to me. I was not abused, but I did. I was exposed to pornography at a young age, not by anyone in my family or anything. But I almost said a bad word. It really messed me up. And it still pollutes my mind in some regard. Um... But in this wilderness, I know I have the hope of Christ Jesus and the hope of glory in the future. And that's the awesome thing. It's not that, oh, I'm going to be perfectly healed right away. It's that I have a guarantee that no one can take away from me that I will be perfectly healed um, in the future. And we just can't forget that. So when we interact with each other, when we talk about these things, don't give someone a false hope that instantly everything is going to be awesome. Um, Now, in... It is, too, to be with Christ. Um, But that future is even awesomer um, than the present. So never, ever forget that. And if you've been abused or someone has mistreated you in regards to sexuality, know that because of God's choice and the work of Christ Jesus, he is with you. And even if you feel alone, he designed this community, what he calls the church, to be supportive. And we're all going to mess it up. Just like... Everything else that we do is as fallen creatures. But the Spirit is with us, and He's not against us. He wants us to succeed for His glory. Don't forget that. Don't run away. The world doesn't have the answers. The answers are found in the Word of God, and that's where we want to stay focused. So let's, we, we have to remember that. That's good. That's good. Well said, Bjorn. So the next, the next really, this encapsulates a lot of the questions and a lot that have been sent in via text. So it's going to answer a lot of the ones that have come in. And so I'm going to, I'm going to read three questions that are all kind of saying the same thing, but it's going to come at it from different angles, but, and then we'll come back to it. So let me just read them real quick. 
question says this. I've known of gay people to sincerely believe they have faith in Jesus and are Christians. Is that possible? They interpret scripture differently somehow. The next question is, is it possible to be a faithful Christian but still be in a same-sex relationship? And then here's a question. Some people use scripture to support same-sex marriage. How can they do that given the clear descriptions and commands against it, both explicitly and implicitly? What would you say to that person? And then a whole other line of questions that are basically saying the same thing. So basically, um, in a nutshell, can someone legitimately be a Christian and be in a same-sex relationship? And then how do you deal with those who would go to scripture to try to support that? That's probably the big burning question, I think, um, from this forum. I'll start by saying, like, if you read certain books, you'll read someone like Wesley Hill, who writes a book and he calls himself a gay Christian. Now, if I said that up here, he's a gay Christian, then you've got to define what that means. And what does Wesley Hill mean when he says he's a, he's a gay Christian? If you read his book, you'll find out he believes that same-sex relationships is wrong, and he's living a celibate life um, uh, towards his creator, and he still has these desires that he's not living in, and so he's calling himself a gay Christian. So when you have that description, you're like, oh, okay. But I think that has to be defined, and you've got to understand what you're talking about when someone says, can I be a Christian and be gay? You've got to get deeper into that question. So, but, so let's, let's take it deeper. What about the person who says, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus, but I also believe that this relationship with the same-sex person that I'm having is okay, and to pursue marriage with is okay, and God's okay with it? I mean, I, I think that's why we started the way we did in regards to looking at Scripture as a foundation, um, because it does go back to, like, where, where is it written um, in regards to those things. So even, even in that same-sex relationship idea, um, like professing Christ but um, involved in a same-sex relationship um, and same-sex behavior, you have to go back to wh- what does the Bible say about um, relationships, um, ultimately marriage? What does bi- the Bible say about um, sexual expression? So I, I think... I think we tried to be as clear as possible in that first, what was that, like three weeks ago now, when we, when we taught about that, um, what the Bible teaches. I, I'm not trying to sound arrogant. The, the way that we taught that, that's the right way to read Scripture. So when, when someone comes at um, something, and I, I'm thinking of names in my head, I don't want to give them credence, um, but in, in regards to books that are written, basically, so for example, they would look at the account of Genesis and say like, well, that's, that's a descriptive account, something that God did, but it's not, um, you, you would say it's not like a programmatic, like it's not designed to indicate how we should do all these things. So that's a common view in regards to, well, that describes something that God did, but that isn't really showing this um, expressed will of God towards something. Um, we could talk about that. Charles, I bet, would love to talk about it. Just in regards to, that's just a crummy way, that's a crummy hermeneutic. It's not a good way to look at the, the Word of God. Um, and it crumbles quite quickly. So if, if, for example, you said, hey, okay, I'm in a same-sex relationship because that's, that's it. I would say, like, where, where does Scripture support that? 
Where's, where's God celebrating those things? And it's not in the word of God. You will not find it anywhere. Now, you and I can have a same-sex relationship, but we're not claiming that we're married and we're not having sex with each other. Um, so again, back to... I was like, where are you going yeah, with that one? Like, back, back to words, like, we should be careful. Let's not, like, let's, let's say, do you think you're married to a person of the same sex? That's contrary to what the word of God says. Yeah. But ultimately, every one of those bad hermeneutics or bad way of interpreting uh, the Bible, like, crumbles when you get to, to questions then, like, if, if, you, if you affirm um, monogamous same-sex relationships and call that marriage, then defend um, open, like, how would you decry open sexual relationships? And you can't do that, because they all go back to, this is the intent of God, he did that in creation. So, I'm all over the place here because you know I'm, like, passionate about this thing. And I'm sorry that I... But I I would say, like, if you look in Genesis 2, so there's this account of something that God did that is descriptive. It's describing something that God did. Um, So you're like, God did this, God did this. And then all of a sudden, it seems like out of nowhere, at the end of chapter 2, there's a therefore. It says therefore. So it's all these things. It's Adam saying things about what God has done. Um... And there's all these lessons in it, and it, but it, it's descriptive. But then all of a sudden it says, therefore, and, and it changes. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So verse 24 there switches to something that is a command. It's not a right way to read scripture to say, well, that, that doesn't apply. And anytime someone would be supportive of something that the fullness of God's word declares to be untrue, um, basically is based in, they, they don't want to read that correctly. Now, they could be deceived, um, but they're wrong in that deception, or they could know and recognize that if they affirm that, that verse, that basically the entirety of everything that they believe are trying to do crumbles under it. Um, but either way, that, uh, they're wrong in how they're reading the Bible. I think about the question itself, and I think, did Jesus ever have to deal with questions like this? He might, he might have not got that exact question, but I want th- think about it like this. Anytime we're asking the question that's similar to, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? So the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? And what does Jesus say? Basically, Jesus exposes that he had great riches and he had things that he loved more than Jesus. And so Jesus exposes the heart by saying, hey, get sell everything and then pick up your cross and follow me. And he goes away sad because Jesus reveals the intent of his heart. So a question, questions like these, I think, I think get our mind off of uh, the, the, it's all about Jesus perspective. And then we get focused on the things we do and don't do to enter heaven. And then we're returning back to the law. Okay, what can I, what's allowed, what's not allowed? And then we're back in the scenario of it's about what I do and don't do. And it's like if we want to put ourselves against the standard and the law of God, we're going to fall every single time. And so I'd ask the person that maybe they were saying it personal, hey, can I still go to heaven and still have this same-sex relationship? I would say, well, what if Jesus told you, no, you can't? Would you give it up and follow him? And if they walked away sad, well, then there's the answer. So sometimes it's not, it, it's, it's helping the person get past just the details they're trying to ask for 
And it's like, expose the heart. Who do you really love and what do you really want? Because when I hear these questions like, can I drink and be a Christian? Can I this and this and this? It's getting your mind off what matters. Jesus matters more than anything. And if he matters more than anything, if he tells us to give it up, we'll give it up. And when we read scripture, God is showing us the, the best and perfect way. And when it comes to sexuality, he has the road that is to a good, fulfilled, abundant life. And he created it and he, looked, he sat back on the Sabbath and he said, it's good. It's good for my children. This is great and it's grand and it's awesome. And then we fell and the land was cursed. And now we see today, thousands of years later, everyone having some type of different view of sexuality. And if we're trying to find some type of loophole that says, I can still have my cake and eat it. I can still be in heaven and still have my sin. Jesus is there saying like, okay, sell all and follow me. And if we would hang our head and say, I love this too much. I can't give it up. That's an indication. I'm not worthy to be his disciple. So I would take our thinking way deeper than this question. That's good. Right? And it's not just about, can I do this and still enter the, enter the kingdom of God? Jesus didn't let these questions, um, he, didn't, he didn't get lost in them. Bring the heart and the mind back. Do you love Jesus above all else? And if you do, you won't be trying to make the scripture say what you want it to say. Like you said in your message, man-centered, not Christ-centered. Right. Yeah, uh, that's yeah. what I was going to say. Yeah, sort of. Um, no, so I'm obviously not a pastor or a biblical scholar. I've taken one hermeneutics class. Um, but I think, you know, I've read the spectrum of what people have to say about this, interpreting scripture different ways. And I think a common theme I often see in those is they're allowing their experience to interpret scripture for them, right? And I think that's what we have to, and I think that's what's being said here, but we cannot do that. Experience, we have to read scripture for what it says. We cannot allow our experience to change or define what scripture says for us. And that's, I think, one of the hardest things because those experiences and feelings and deep seated desires are so ingrained that it's easy to say, God wouldn't make me this way. That's often the phrase used unless he wanted me to do this or X, Y, Z. And that's where we have to say scripture is not defined on how we feel or what we experience. It's defined on what Christ, what God says in in the scripture. And obviously that's what you're saying, but Yeah, the awesome thing, so Summit Church, Flock, brothers and sisters, is that God wants you to know what he's said. So he's not withholding that from you, and you can can see. So people will get all sneaky in regards to saying words like hermeneutics, um, or, oh, this koine or common Greek word actually meant this and represented this, or this will do this. And you will spin yourself in circles if you want to get in those debates, but what the awesome thing is, Psalm 119, 160, it says, the sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. God is not withholding his truth from you. You can know it by looking at the fullness of his word. And in knowing that, you can defeat in your mind any argument that someone would bring against the word of God. The spirit is with you. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Don't be afraid to interact with those who are saying something wrong about scripture, because the Holy Spirit has you in it. You do have to study the word. You do have to be familiar with it, but don't be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Do not be afraid to interact with those um, who are saying false things. For us to know whether or not an individual is saved that is living out their same-sex attraction, living in same-sex behavior, that's, that's really hard to know. I, I, go to, I go to the prodigal son. He was a son, gone prodigal for who knows how long. 
We know he came back, so his coming back revealed he actually was the father's son. Um, Charles and I had a wonderful discussion the other day about the kingdom of God. And when did the kingdom, when is the kingdom of God? When did it come? Has it come? And we all know that, that, that the fullness of the kingdom of God will come when he returns and he restores every single thing to its originally intended form when he returns. And I long for that day. I long for that day. Um, but the kingdom of God came to us when Jesus took his last breath. He gave himself as the sacrifice for us. He raised himself from the dead, and then he pours out his Holy Spirit on us. That's when the kingdom of God came to us. And so, I believe because I have the Holy Spirit in me, I am in the kingdom of God. While not in the fullness of it, I am in the kingdom of God right now. And if you have given yourself in relationship to Jesus Christ and His Holy Spirit is in you and you are marked as one of His own, you are a sojourner on this earth. You are an alien in this land, having been claimed as a member of the kingdom of God. Time would tell. Time will tell as to whether or not the individual that says, I am living out my same-sex behavior and I am a Christian too. Time will tell. But Phil Robertson made 1 Corinthians chapter 6 a very popular passage on the country scene a number of years ago when he shared it for everyone to hear. And this is what he referred to. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? The unrighteous, the one who is living out no matter what the sin is, the one who is engaged in that sin is not in the kingdom of God. He will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. And then here comes the list. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, and such were some of you. And we know in John chapter 15, it's clear, clear, the one who belongs to the kingdom of God is bearing fruit the fruits of repentance bearing fruit that says, I am in the kingdom of God. The one who is living a life that does not bear fruit like that should cause question in our mind as to whether or not they are in the kingdom of God. And so, to be able to say, can someone be this and still be in the kingdom of God? The answer is no. At the same time, if someone were to ask me, this is what I see in my dad. This is the way I've seen him live since he divorced my mom. In perpetual sexual relationship with woman after woman after woman. He was in the ministry. 
for a number of years, people looked up to him and highly respected him. Do you think my dad is saved? I'm not going to answer that question. I'm going to say, what fruit has your father expressed over the course of the last however long it's been to make you suggest, to make you believe one, to have you believe one way or another? Is my dad saved or is he not? This is a real life example that Wendy and I got to experience a while ago. And I said, what sits deep in your heart when you think about your dad standing before the Lord? That should help you fashion your prayers for whoever it is in your life that would say, because if you live this way, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And that, that's a core theme of the New Testament. I was just thinking of 1 John 2. Brock memorized this for my, they did a scripture recitation at a, a party my parents were having. Um, and Brock did this. He used the NIRV. By the way, rec- if you have kids, I recommend the NIRV. So the, the reader's version. It's written for like a third grade level. It's great. Um, if your kid's just getting started reading, they can't deal with the ESV or anything like that. So I, re- I recommend the NIRV um, for whatever that's worth. But First uh, John 2, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we've come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. So there's this idea that Christ is there for our sins. We're going to sin and it's how, how tightly do we grip to them that is this great matter of importance. And if those sins are more important to us than Christ, than confession and repentance, that is a dangerous place to be because it's not just one verse in the New Testament or Scripture that says you are not in a good place. You are not in relationship with the Father. So that's great, should be great cause for concern. But the heart of compassion is I have to, I have to help that person um, and sometimes you, you do that in the way that Todd preached this morning. Um, in other situations, you handle it differently. But that, that's a core message of Scripture. It's not like a, a, a one-off zinger verse that you found and, and, and we're throwing out there. So we're closing in to the 8 o'clock mark. And I've been trying to do my best to get some of these uh, text uh, questions in. We're not going to get through them all. But there are a lot of similar ones. So what I want to do in the last maybe two questions here is try to get maybe 15 questions all at once because a lot of questions were revolved, sounded something like this. How do we lovingly engage those who are professing Christians who are LGBTQ plus affirming? And then they said, for me, it is much harder to engage these rather than the actual LGBT people because you're disagreeing over the full authority of scripture. So the question is not, hey, it's like being Jesus to the lost makes sense and actually feels natural, but the the, the fellow brother or sister that disagrees with me, 
right? So like I immediately, my mind goes to like all the Facebook arguments that we get into, right? Where it's like, that's the safe place where I'm not face to face with a person where I can just say whatever I think and then, then argue. And when I see the person in front, we shake hands like it never happened, right? Like brothers and sisters who disagree concerning this, affirming, non-affirming, um, the que- and there's many people who ask that same question. How do I deal with a fellow brother who believes, who comes to a different conclusion about this? And that gets really sticky when it's not just, a, I mean, it's a brother in Christ, sister in Christ. That's actually family. It gets even stickier, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. You know what? This is what I love. I love, and this is, we, we proclaim the full counsel of the God of of the Word of God in this church. We do that. And here's why it's so necessary to do that. Because then you understand that's what this church stands on and stands for. And so I can believe then at least that we are all on the same page. You understand this is what we believe, and so therefore this is why I want this church to be my church home. A guy said it to me on the way out. This is why we're here, is because we don't dance around the hard things. We go after the hard things. And so when we go after the hard things, the church is refined, and we can come into fellowship together with one another, knowing that we're going to be in agreement with this. And so it's nice to know that we have a safe place where we can come and and be able to talk about this kind of stuff. So I'm glad you're with us. I'd encourage you to read Second John and Third John. And the reason why is God gives us two little books, really small little books. I mean, you could literally read both of them three times within ten minutes. Second John is written to the elect lady. It's a, it's a woman who John is writing to to say, listen, you are letting people in your house who are bringing a false gospel. Don't even bid them Godspeed. And so he's writing to correct her. You're being too accommodating for someone who has a false gospel. And so it's like, yeah. But then third John, he's writing to a man who is being too harsh to actual brothers. And he has to tell them, welcome them, accept them. They're brothers in the Lord. And so why do I bring this up? God is putting us in the gray area to say we have to study for ourselves and figure out what is the actual area between accepting a fellow brother and sister and being okay if we disagree on things versus someone actually having a false gospel that we need to not associate with so they don't lead people astray. That's, that's an area of tension that is healthy to wrestle and pray over, and that's what you're going to be studying, 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 and studying. And let me just say this. The God, the, God's Word, especially the, the literature and the writing of God, is written in such a way where we have to talk about it. We have to conversate over it. We have to debate it, meditate on it, chew on it. Jewish literature, especially, it was, you read it, you think about it, and then you sit down and you talk for hours about it. That's how God's written it. He wants us to wrestle over these things. And so when I hear that question, I'm like, man, I'm with you. And I don't even have the full answer, and I get the angst there, but we're always going to have angst with one another about things in Scripture, and we've got to be willing to talk about them. But there is those areas where it's like, there is an area, a point, where it's like, no, you don't associate with that person because they have a false gospel. And I would say that, what do they do with Jesus? What do they do with the resurrection? What do they do with the authority of Scripture? Real big questions. But then there's conclusions that are a little bit secondary tier two issues where it's like, okay, what is my relationship with this person? And 
I just think maybe spend some time praying, reading Second and Third John, say where God brings you to on some of these issues. Oh, like I was thinking about City Harvest or the you know Gateway, and like we serve there with other believers that hold different theological views than us, and not ju- not just in this issue. But I'm thinking in, in regards to, like, um, female ordination. So will you or, ordain an elder um, that's female? Like, we differ, and yet we can serve alongside those people for the, for the sake of the gospel. That's different, though, than everyone feeling the same way within one body. So I guess I'm, just, I'm, I'm echoing what Todd said in regards to we're going to teach and communicate what we believe in here, and that's what we believe in. So... I'm thinking of Romans 15. Um, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. When we're together, we're to be unified and glorifying God together. And if there's something that's just so differing, we differ so much on on it in regards to this, the elders of the church have said, this is what we believe about it. That should set the standard for what we're trying to accomplish together. We just really want to be transparent about what those things are. And that's part of the reason we've been teaching um, in the way we have the past three weeks. I Just thinking practically, too, talking with those individuals about why do they hold those beliefs? We've been talking about this grace and truth, and I think many people don't want to be seen as bigots or don't want to be seen a certain way, and so they just jump to this affirming side and haven't actually studied for themselves or recognized, can I sort of be human-affirming and recognizing like we all struggle with sin rather than having to be gay-affirming or non-affirming or whatever? And so engaging in conversation about, well, instead of just being sort of in a culture war about I'm on this side, you're on this side. What's, what's kind of leading to this again? Is it that experience or is it sort of grounded in something and that dictates? Remember the scripture says patient with all, right? Especially to the leaders, to Timothy for forbearance, forbearing. Paul gives a very good word for one another. It's called forbearance. That word is a unique word that's used for when you really just can't stand that other person who's a brother or sister. Can't stand how they look, how they think, how they talk. Right, you just you get around them, and you just getting a little personal there, Jasper. No, I'm talking like that because we all know that, right? I'm not. We're not. We're being transparent. We know that God puts people in our life that challenge us and that expose the true judgmental fleshy ways of us and we're having to wrestle with that so god paul gives a word called forbearance which is where we put up literally put up with one another yeah when you said that i I was thinking of first thessalonians 5 and we urge you brothers admonish the idle or the lazy um encourage the faint-hearted help the weak be patient with them all and then see that no one repays anyone evil for evil but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone yeah First Timothy, I think you were referring to this, says it like this, chapter 4, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort, and this is how you do it, with complete patience and teaching. Always patience. So <clears throat> the final question kind of encapsulates, I think, a lot of other questions, but there was one question that someone asked that kind of 
put what, I, what we were noticing, all the questions, all together. The person put it in a question that I was like, that's good. That kind of explains the, maybe the tension we're feeling from our series that we did the last three weeks. And here's what the person said. It says, in light of what was taught this morning, so this, this text, this uh, message came in today, this afternoon. In light of what was taught this morning from 1 Corinthians 5, how can a group that, like that described by Jasper last week be accepted into a church? If they're doing a Bible study and are living a gay life in spite of God's word, shouldn't they be excluded? How do we show love to those living in the lifestyle who are outside the church without seeming condoning to them? And the reason I highlight that question is because I think it embodies maybe if there's still a perception from how we did the series that might have been confusing, it was this. We started with, here's what we believe. The second message was our complete posture to those outside the church. And if you notice the posture of last week versus the posture of this week seem at odds with each other, right? So if you just came last week, you'd get a perception where if you just came today, you would get a perception. And our, our perception of the temptation of, of a church is to take the posture last week of all grace and apply it across the board 100%. I mean, inside the church, outside the church, right? Because we want to live there because we feel convicted to live there. Other churches take the posture that we revealed here today towards a fellow brother and sister that's still loving, it's still pleading, but it's like we must must judge one another in a way to keep one another accountable. And some churches want to live in that across the board, unbeliever, believer alike. What we were trying to do through this is, is be true to Scripture, provoke our heart, and convict to the point where we need to be and get our eyes of here's what God is telling us to do. And it's not a simplistic answer all across the board. God gives us instructions to how we function around the unbeliever, and he gives us instructions within the church. And there are all types of uh, tendrils that go out from that that are messy, messy, messy. And so to answer this question, last week we're talking about unbelievers, people who don't have the gospel. So we don't treat them like people who know the gospel. This week, today, we're talking about those who know the gospel, who know it, who know the word, who profess it, who are in the church. So you talk to them and you respond to them as someone who knows the truth. And God gives us instruction for both those ways. I mean, it, that sound, that's as simple as I can do it, yet I understand that's very complicated. Right? So any final thoughts that we want to give to that or to anything else before we pray and close tonight? So here's what we're going. Can, can I say one thing? Just yes. as an elder, like there's been the ebb and flow of different things in our church um, that have been very stressful as a leader. Um, thinking, you know, to, for me personally, since 2013, and Todd mentioned this morning, he's been an elder now for 400 years. And <laughs> I can still hear, though. Right. <laughs> um, but there was... There was very little of that leadership angst in the past month. And I think it's, be, it's evidence of, of a couple things. First of all, praise and glory be to Jesus Christ. Um, because he's working in the, in the entirety of the hearts of this body. He's doing something to us. And it, it's, it's a good thing that um, we want to be shepherds as elders. We want to take that seriously, and we're trying. Uh, we don't always do it correctly. Um, but God has put a new, a new zeal in us, 
And he's doing the same thing to you. So I don't say that to, to separate us or divide us or anything like that. Like, well, you know, there's shepherds here and sheep here because the elders are sheep too. But it's been very encouraging because it, it is evidence that God is at work. Um, and that's very encouraging. And it makes it way more productive to do something like we've been trying to do the past few weeks and then something like tonight when we know that we're, we're a family and there's, there's a unity. And it says like in Ephesians, what is it for? That, that this body, the members in it, are eager, eager to maintain the, the unity and spirit of the bond of peace. So I, I commend you as, as an elder, a leader in a church, um, for listening to Jesus and trying to do what he says and caring about others. All those things matter, and it's very evident um, within this body. So guys, keep the questions coming. Um, what I'm going to try to do is get these that came in that we weren't able to address specifically. We want to try to get you some, some uh, answers from your pastors and elders to answer that. So we'll send it to you in an email, maybe even text it to you back, but we'll, we'll try to get those out to you. And just want to say thank you so much for coming out tonight. Let's keep wrestling over this, keep having conversations about it, and let's just keep praying for one another and uh, for our community and for our world. All right. Todd, would you close us? Father in heaven, it's so wonderful to gather together as the family. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for each one that you have, have, have chosen to make a part of this church, Summit Church. Thank you, Lord, for um, clear directives that you give us in your scripture. Thank you, Lord, for relationship that comes with you and through you because of what you did for us on the cross and then pouring your spirit out into us. And so now, Lord, as we move from here, knowing, Lord, that there are many, many, many unanswered questions. One answer brings up another question, and another answer brings another question, and it just goes on and on and on. But may we tonight leave here settled in to our relationship with you, and may your peace abound in the heart of each one. Lord, I think about the ones that are struggling through some significant and hard issues as it relates to these things that we've talked about. Lord, Lord, I pray that you would give, you would grant them tonight an extra measure of peace knowing, Lord, that you have hemmed them in behind and before and that you have laid your hand upon them. Thank you, Lord, for the work you're doing here, and it's all for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.